This is not exactly a detour. Um, but last week when we started talking about the sovereignty of God in election and calling, uh, Andrew immediately took us to the beginning of time. <laughs> As I'm sure he's wont to do, right? He just... <laughs> So I thought it would be helpful uh, because this is uh, the question, really, I think that we all face. It's one that has uh, plagued me a lot in my life, uh, in my uh, prayer life at times when I've uh, cried out to God and actually wept and walked up and down my hallway or several different hallways, um, just struggling with. Uh, this God who has planned uh, planned sin and suffering in the world. Could have planned any kind of world, right? But he planned specifically one that has sin and suffering in it. Um, and the difficulty of that is that we, we have no reference for it. Um, I gave the analogy that if I planned... If I put my children in the backyard, I wouldn't purposely put something back there dangerous to them. And so there's no analogy for God putting Adam and Eve in a garden where there was something dangerous, very dangerous. I mean, dangerous to all humanity, you know, in terms of the dragon, uh, the serpent. <clears throat> and uh, so a, a, analogy breaks down, and that was, that was one of my huge struggles is I had no reference. I mean, God acts as God and I act as a human being and I can't find reference points, you know, to make sense of his justice. That makes sense? I can't, I can't make sense of his justice. So when you read that his ways are unsearchable, I used to think his ways are unsearchable in terms of, um, his great power, uh, and what he does in creation, but then to realize his ways are unsearchable in terms of any graph or any construct I have of justice. It just won't, it won't fit. It, you can't make it fit. Um, and so part of my, uh, part of what gave me help was to realize I get to be a child, you know. I just get to be a child. And... I don't understand what he does any more than my three-year-old understood what I did, or even my 17-year-old, <laughs> right? You, you're not letting me go to the party. I'll, I'll give you an example of this where, uh, well, no, that might, it would, it would be on tape and it might embarrass my daughter uh, one day if uh, the, the argument that they had. But it, the argument ended with, her want, she wanted to buy something that was really revealing, and the final statement was, boys might have been that way when you were young, but they're not like that anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Males used to be that way for 5,000 years, but they're not that way anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, that, I would say that single thing has been, the most helpful to me is just to be a child and realize the the severe limits of my capacity to understand what who God is and, and what he does. So some of this uh, helps to get at that, hopefully, and let, let's pray and we'll get started. <clears throat> oh, Lord, we, we're delving into those areas uh, of your actions that are infinitely beyond our capacity to understand. So we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to worship you, enable us to honor you, enable us to trust you, Lord, to, to see your goodness, to see what you've done in Christ, and to realize everything that you do comes from this heart that gave the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, make, help us, Lord, to uh, see you in your uh, beauty and majesty and, and sheer power and sovereignty and worship and honor you uh, as the great God over all things. Uh, so, Lord, we pray you would give us that humility, but in that humility, give us liberty and freedom 
and joy in you uh, to submit all that we are and to submit our understanding itself uh, to your understanding, to your ways. Forgive me, Lord, in my pride, uh, like Job and others who uh, basically demanded an answer. And, Lord, there is no way that you could begin to give us an answer. Uh, You are unanswerable. Uh, You're not answerable to me or anyone else. And, Lord, uh, give us all that humility that would uh, bow before you and give you all praise and give you all authority uh, in our hearts um, give you all prerogatives uh, to do whatever you will because you are God and you're good, you're righteous, you're fair, you're just. Um, and Lord, enable us to trust in these things by your Holy Spirit. We know apart from him, we will not trust you. Apart from him, we will not give ourselves uh, in, into your will. We ask these things for your glory. Amen. <clears throat> so... Uh, the first is an uh, answer to this, or not answer, but a way to help us, is the uh, exchange that God had with Job at the end of, of Job. So after Job's three uh, advisors had spoken, interlaced with Job's, response, Job's responses, you know the story of Job, uh, incredible suffering inflicted upon him, Uh, By the initiation of Satan, Satan even appearing before God, saying Job worships you for uh, no good reason, really. He only worships you because you've blessed him so much. You take away all of these things, and he's going to curse you. So he took away all of his possessions, his children. Uh, Job still worshipped him. Then he attacked Job's physical well-being, and he had these boils, horrible suffering, Job still held fast and worshiped God. Uh, but in the process, Job asked some questions and was wondering himself, why in the world this doesn't make sense? I've been a righteous man, and yet all these things have happened to me. Uh, I, I basically demand an answer. You know, Tell me how justice works. Tell me how this is fair. Here's what God finally said. Um, I've entitled it, Where Were You? Uh, I love that. Katie uh, Crow asks that, you know. I just love that because every time I see her, it's as though when she sees you, I wanted to see you yesterday and all day today. Where were you? You know, it's just wonderful. I bet we will say that in the heavens and the earth when we're made perfect, you know. Where were you? I wanted to see you. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Darwin. (laughs) That's the way I read it now. Okay. Um, It helps me see however wise I think or I'm putting God under the microscope and he's he's not fitting my idea of justice and he needs to come clean with me and he needs to satisfy me with what I think justice is and he needs to, he needs to meet my standards. I mean, I realized that's what I was saying to him, you know. But what was I doing? I was darkening, darkening, I was darkening counsel, and I had words without knowledge. And this is great. Dress for action like a man. (laughs) Get ready, Job. Here I come. I will question you, and you make it known to me. You've wanted to ask questions of me. Let me ask you some questions, okay? That's the feel of this. You've got questions of me? Oh, I haven't a few questions for you, Joe. Uh, and of course, it starts with, oh, so where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And I, I counted some almost 60 questions following the next few chapters. God, where were you? Have you seen? Uh, uh, have you been there? Those kinds of things. Like you see in that paragraph in the middle, have you commanded the morning? Where's the way to the dwelling of light? Uh, have you entered the springs of the sea later? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Um, from whom's womb did the ice come forth? Uh, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? You're, you're talking about knowing things. I mean, can you hunt the prey for the lion? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth to you? You know, just spraying him with these uh, questions. Also, a lot of just pure description of the majesty of creation in that, that section. Um, 
And you get a little bit of his sarcasm up above. He says, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Darwin, you have so much understanding to put me under your measure of justice. Well, tell me this. Where were you when I laid the foundation? So tell me if you've got all this understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. I mean, you're asking me these questions. You're demanding that I fit. I mean, surely you must know these things too. Uh, teach me about this. Let me hear about it. Who stretched the line upon it? Of course, I recommend that you... You should, we, we should all probably read this every month, <laughs> just every month so that we realize creature, creator, creature, creator, creature, creator. Then notice Job's response. And you'll see in these little quotes, uh, the, the uh, single quotes, uh, how he, he quotes God. And so this is him remembering how God began this conversation. And, and he's talking with it. It's, it's, it's really neat. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, nothing about that says, I see now why you did what you did to me. Right? I understand now why you judge the wicked or why bad things happen to good people or why... Uh, he didn't say that. It's just the sheer sovereignty. I know you can do all things and all your purposes will be fulfilled. So it's the sheer weight that you are God. You plan everything in the world and you carry it out and that's the way it is. And that's good. So then he quotes God. It's almost like uh, if you remember uh, at the end of Pride and Prejudice, guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all of our favorite movies. Maybe some of your favorite movies. It is one of my favorite movies. Um, I do love uh, Saving Private Ryan, too, so <laughs> I'm a man, too. <laughs> I'm just as masculine as the next man. No, but, but uh, Pride and Prejudice. I love the longer version, the BBC version. Uh, I do like the, the short one that was done beautifully, but... Along when they have this, they're walking at the end and they have this discussion and he will quote Elizabeth and he'll say uh, something like, um, I would, you would be the last man in the world that I would marry. You know, she'll quote that and, and, or he'll quote that and she'll say, oh no, I didn't, but, but he's just quoting these things she said that just punctuated her life, you know, that just gripped her. And, uh, I mean, uh, that, that gripped him and, and, and changed his life. And uh, so I think that's what's going on here. I know that you can do all things. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? That's what you said. Golly, that really got to me. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. That. That is a beautiful way to look at it. Why don't I understand his justice? Why don't I understand why he does things and it doesn't seem fair to people who've never heard the gospel or people who are in other religions and die and then are going to be in eternal punishment? And I, you know, but these are things too wonderful, not like too horrible for me to understand. Too wonderful for me to too awesome, and 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 if it if it's God that does it, it's a wonderful thing He does. Everything He does is wonderful. Okay, I can't see it. Just like you might be saying to your three year old, "What I'm telling you, what I'm forbidding you to do, is wonderful," because <laughs> you would die if you did it. Okay, this is a wonderful thing, but you're pitching a fit and rolling on the floor because you want to do it. You don't see how wonderful this is that I'm doing, I'm telling you. Because you're a three-year-old, you little idiot. No, you don't, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, oh, a child is present. You're right. <laughs> don't, don't say those things. No. Yeah, you'd never say that. You never think that, right, parents? You never think that. Uh, I get tickled at one of my friends who was struggling 
with his three children, and he said, sometimes I think they're brain dead. I really do. I think they're brain dead. You, know, you were the same way, and I was the same way. We disobey sometimes. Um, so uh, here, though, I didn't understand them. I didn't know there were things too wonderful to me. And then he quotes God again, here and I will speak. I will question you and make it known. You make it known to me. See how that pierced his heart, especially as God began to open those things up. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So there's that idea of I had a distant knowledge of you. I I heard about what you were like, but now I see who you are. I see your majesty. I see. And it's interesting. All God did was describe creation and the majesty of creation and the greatness of creation and kept saying, I'm the one that does these things. You're not. I'm the one that does these things. You're not. And it's just interesting that line of argument that avoided the whole question of what's fair, not fair, but just presented him with the sheer glory and beauty and majesty of a God who takes care of his world. And move this over and say, okay, if you do all of these things with such infinite, intricate wisdom and perfection and goodness and majesty, maybe you know what you're doing, you know. That's the idea. Maybe you know what you're doing. Because I, everything you described is so beyond my capacity, and it helps me understand this area that I'm struggling with is so far beyond my capacity. All right, any questions or comments? Good, yeah. That's really good. Anyone else? Yeah, I, I uh, approach it from, I use the child analogy and just say, uh, we, we know what it is to understand something that little ones don't understand, and that's my picture of God. And I don't have to defend it, I don't have to prove it, I can just say, this is how glorious and majestic I think he is, and it's beyond my understanding, you know, and it's... Yeah, so I think in apologetics, we've got to stick with just proclamation of truth and, you know, they'll have to be convinced of it or not. Just for instance, Romans 1, I've said this many times to unbelievers. I said, now this may offend you, but I do believe you're suppressing the truth of God that is absolutely shining everywhere in creation. It's just 24-7 blaring in your ears. I think you're neglecting it and refusing it. Because you don't want you don't want it. Now, of course, they have said many evil things to me. <laughs> but uh, and and of course, I get to a certain point that I would say that to someone in terms of relationship. But um, but I I feel like there's the word proclaimed. I might not say that if I didn't have that perspective of I'm just setting the truth before him, and God will have to you know convince him of it. Uh, and I, so I. I kind of approach it in general that way, but I, I I tore myself up thinking I've got to say the right thing in the right way, and and it's got to be convincing. It's got to be the thing that does it, you know, and all that. And I I, I just have backed up to say I'm just going to use what the Bible says and and let it. And I, I think in many of those instances, people 
they're things that lodge, you know, they stick, you know, and you have to, it's a place of possible conviction, you know, well, maybe I am refusing this or whatever, but, but as we go through this, I think there'll be some other uh, things that you may think are better or worse in a particular situation. Uh, So, where were you? And then we talked about this some last week. Uh, Who are you? (laughs) So, these questions, Romans 9.18, Paul, and this is, of course, taking up his argument. We can't read the whole of chapter 9, but he does conclude this. So, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills, speaking there particularly of Pharaoh. That was the example he gave. And, of course, Paul anticipates if God has mercy on someone or hardens someone and he chooses whom he does this to, then your answer will be to me. He knows what he's saying. He's not, we, can't, we can't lessen the uh, severity of what Paul is saying because he says, look, this, you're going to say this to me in response. Why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? And that's really our question, isn't it? Well, if he shows mercy on whom he had, how can he even find fault? Because he hardens this person. Uh, that's not fair. No one can resist his will. His will is, is sovereign. And I want to answer that question somehow. I, I want Paul to say, yeah, but there are other circumstances. The man's sinfulness, man's responsibility, or all these things I want to... But Paul doesn't. He, he just jumps right in. Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Um, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So... Uh, What do you make of this? <laughs> this to me would be more severe, you know, to share with someone. Well, you, you started off the class by saying that uh, the analogy between earthly circumstances and God's cosmic justice don't really work. And that makes sense because it's such a vast chasm. But then here comes Paul with his earthly analogy. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Pain, suffering. That's right. That, this is a hard analogy to make. I, I agree. I agree. And, but I think it underscores what he's, what he's comparing, of course, is not the nature of clay and human being, but he's comparing the control, you know. It's even more startling in the sense of, in the sense that a potter can do whatever he wants to with the clay. And, of course, a clay can't even talk, so the clay's not going to be, you know. It's, it's absolutely his will to do whatever he wants to with that piece of pottery. And Paul is saying it's absolutely within the right and authority, prerogative of God to do whatever he will with his creature. Now, again, I struggle with it, but... That's the point Paul's making, that pure sovereignty is involved in both cases. But you're right. It's very disparate in terms of the the material, you know, potter and a human being. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about it. That is an interesting, uh, you know, there is a, a hymn to that effect. And this is uh, borrowed from uh, Jer- Jeremiah 18, I think it is, um, and where the clay analogy is there. And, and uh, 
there's that idea of, Lord, let me be in your hands, you know. And even think of David where he had the prospect of the plague or what was the other one? And he said, I choose to be in God's hands, right? I can't remember the... But anyway, he put himself in God's hands. He said, I'd rather be in his hands no matter what, you know. So there is... uh, there's a terrible aspect of this analogy, but there's an incredibly comforting aspect. If we will but trust him, but the world tends, we all, by nature, don't want to be in his hands. We don't, we don't want to put ourselves in the hands of God, right? Ray, sorry, yeah. Ray Cosgrove. No, just Yeah, that's so, a good point. So yeah. He, he turns the table on that whole argument that it's we're so much more than a home play. Yeah. Because his claim is God is so much farther from us than we are from the local play. Yeah. So yeah. Does that downplay the uh, God's image that is put in man's man's soul? Yeah. Relative to the play. I'll leave it to Doug. I Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it's uh, it's presented just just like uh, I, I I think this is a similar argument, or really it's the same argument as Job. You know, because even uh, he starts up there, who is this? You know, it's the same question: Who are you to answer back? You don't you don't know what you're talking about. You know. Um, and, and I would say too, even to, uh, you know, if, if I, I I struggle with this analogy or I struggle with, uh, the nature of God planning punishment for, you know, sentient beings or beings that have feelings, that is the whole nature of my struggle, you know, historically, uh, has been that. Um, and even there, I... And putting God under my judgment and my sense of justice. And there really is no ch- choice about that. Either uh, I submit to the revelation of God in Scripture or I reject that revelation. Um, and so it is a matter of, for me still, and, and this is the hardest part, but again, I go to being the child uh, because children think many, many times that we're being unfair to them. They even think we may be unfair to other people or doing mean things to human beings, and we don't care about people. They really do think that. They especially think we don't care about them. You know, uh, We don't care about their feelings. We don't know what they really want. We don't know what's good for them. We're not making them happy. I mean, they're very much aware that our sovereignty is is wreaking havoc in our personal lives, you know. But all all along, we are acting with goodness, you know, and acting with fairness and justice. Um, but so there's the where are you, there's the who are you, and then following right after that in Romans uh, chapter 9, <clears throat> um, the what if. What if God, and this follows straight from what, we just had there in point number two. So I just broke it up in terms of uh, categories. So Psalm 9:22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory, even as he is called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So... Um, this means that uh, God chose to glorify His mercy, but also 
to glorify his righteousness and justice. Um, so, uh, to make known, and he puts it in this way, to make known his power, which is a summary statement that he has all power over all evil and will bring evil uh, to bear. Um, and so, uh, he, the reason he asks, what if God is playing off the potter illustration, right? Um, who are you to answer back to God? What is molded? What is molded? Said it's molder. Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right? And so, following that, what if then God desires uh, to make known his power, has vessels of wrath, following the potter illustration, and then making known the riches of his glory for vessels of, of mercy um, prepared beforehand for glory. So, we have to say that God, in creating the world, was giving uh, full, uh, the, you might say, the full manifestation of all that he is as God. And if we take a judge, he's honored by the fact that he gives out fair judgment and he protects the innocent. But he's also honored in that he brings justice and righteousness against the wicked. And we are just as, we have the same amount of uh, protest if we feel like a poor man, for instance, has not received justice because the judge got paid under the table and so he allowed this man to go to jail instead of the man who was oppressing him. Or, or in the same way, we, we think, this man who is a killer, uh, a rapist, whatever, is allowed to go free. We think it's a terrible uh, misjustice. And so uh, in both cases, the honoring of uh, the, 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 sorry, in, in meeting out justice in both directions, uh, there is honor. And so this is uh, one of the aspects of God's sovereignty, to manifest his righteousness against sin. Now, even here you might think, well, I don't like the fact that he allowed sin to manifest his righteousness. Or it seems a severe cost to pay that people would suffer for God to manifest his righteousness. But Paul's not answering that question. Okay? That's not a, that doesn't concern Paul. What concerns Paul is the sheer sovereignty of God in creating a world, uh, choosing to manifest his power and his righteousness in this world. Um, and so these first three, uh, trying to tease out a little bit of, they're all related, of course, closely, but um, these helped me a lot in realizing that the issue was God is God, and uh, and really uh, what John said of being able to put myself in the hands of this powerful God who has created all things, and not run into Him and and crash against you know the rocks so to speak. Um, he he is a glorious God to be trusted, to be embraced, to be in awe of Him, um, and. It, it's it's like a wave that you can ride and enjoy and benefit from and and exult in. It can be your liberty, or or if I demand that he fit me, if I demand that he measure up like I want to, if I put my sense of justice above God's, and he doesn't fit my sense of justice, then I smash you know on the on the shells uh, and I shipwreck in that regard. At least that's how it came, you know, for me to see it, you know, at one point of the, the sheer sovereignty of God and what it demands of me, but what it also uh, allows for me, you know, in terms of trust. And, and I will say this, that it has been, you can't separate any part of Scripture from another, of course, 
And so a passage like that you've heard me quote so many times, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, um, where Paul creates the analogy between creation and redemption, or you might say personal renewal. And you realize that only this God could do this, because he says, he who said, let there be light. So here's the analogy. The God that declared at the beginning of time, let there be light, and light pervaded this dark creation, said, uh, shown the glory of Jesus Christ into our hearts. So only that God can do this. And this is the God I must have. I must have this sovereign God of, of Romans 9. I must have the God who declares whatever he wills because he has declared and promised that if I trust him, he will save me. Only the God of the one can do the other, right? It has to be this sovereign God or we have no hope whatsoever. Um, and if it's not this absolute sovereign God, then the world is given up to who knows what, you know. Um, that, that will, that's a whole different subject. But now, <clears throat> number four, what about planning your own suffering? <clears throat> um, I was talking to Andrew afterwards uh, last week, and, and you've heard, some of you have heard me say this uh, in my own personal experience. Uh, I don't, I don't think this was the voice of God. It was just a thought that came to me. Uh, maybe it was the Spirit uh, bringing the truth of the Word to my heart at the time. But I remember years ago, a particular uh, night when I was struggling with this, and, and I was declaring to God, I said, You know, and that's probably the kind of voice I had, You know that I would not have planned sin in this world. You know I wouldn't have done that. You know, I'm so good <laughs> that I wouldn't have done it. And I really, I don't think I was your pastor at that time. <laughs> well, I was somebody's pastor. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> um, And so... Uh, you know, I was just consumed with, with the why and, and what the world would have been like without sin, what the world would have been like without suffering. And uh, you stare down the, you know, dark, deep length and breadth of it, and you read history, and it just can overwhelm you. And, uh, but the thought came uh, that night, uh, you probably wouldn't have planned your own suffering either, would you? And... Uh, no, <laughs> I mean that, but, but it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't make everything clear, but there's something about that. And I, I get why John Stott made the statement in uh, his book on the cross. He said, if it weren't for the cross of Christ, I wouldn't believe in God. John Stott, okay? I wouldn't believe in God. And there's a sense for me, that I, I would have to say the same thing. Like when people have... Uh, I, I've seen those websites where people... Uh, uh, it hap happened accidentally upon this website of people who've denied the faith, turned away from Christ, totally rejected Christ, and they give their reasons why. And I just read it wide-eyed. I thought, Every one of those reasons are things I've struggled with. Every single one of them. In fact, I could add some that would have blistered their ears, I think. You know, that I'd say, well, I could make this argument even stronger than you do. You know, because I, I just had those struggles. But two things have held my uh, feet to the fire, so to speak. One is creation. I can't get around it. I just can't. I can't make it not be God. I just, just, just no way. I can't. And two is Jesus Christ. Uh, I can't. The, the, the fact that this is who God is, right? That God is the God who gives himself away sacrificially. If that vanished, all is lost to me. Darkness falls on the earth. There is no meaning to anything. There is no goodness anywhere. There is no love anywhere. Nothing. If that's not who God is, 
It's just so valuable, so glorious, so precious. And the fact that God planned a world in which, in a, in a certain way, infinite suffering would fall upon him, it, it makes me think, it, at that point I realized, oh, I don't know anything, you know. I don't know anything. Yeah, I wouldn't have planned sin, but I wouldn't have planned for myself to suffer you know, willingly choose that this is the plan. I will enter the world and I will suffer what these people have done, you know. So that has helped me immensely, not to fully understand the why, but to understand God was not standoffish and he, in fact, bore, uh, you know, the greatest pain, uh, infinite pain that no one else would ever suffer in that regard in that way and and that helps me to understand how I don't I can't fathom it now any questions or thoughts about that Right. I that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think when we we can talk it is a different question but closely related uh about the desert of punishment, you know, and and we're we're kind of backing it up and asking what about the plan to even have sin and and you know, suffering and punishment. But yeah, that that ties in with the illustration I had last week of if 20 guys are on death row and they're all proven serial killers and one of them is released, our outcry will be, why did you release that one? Not, well, that's not fair to the other 19. But in election, we think of it just like you're saying, just totally upside down. We think in somehow, if some are forgiven and some go to heaven, that's not fair for the others that didn't. So we think exactly opposite because we have no concept of the extent of our sin. You know, no concept of what it means to, to despise God, which all mankind does. Um, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, scripture, scripture says that God has infinite concern for his creation. Infinite concern. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel eight to yet, yet it happens. I don't. Yeah, me either. Me. Either. <laughs> but um, I will say, uh, well, there, there is the desire, uh, or if you want to call it that. And in fact, actually, the same word is used in two different contexts. So it's hard to even say, well, this word is this, and that word is this. But um, some call it the, the desire of either 
decree or uh, his uh, uh, prescribe his prescriptions. Uh, where am I? Okay, <laughs> sorry. So there is the desire that God has that all obey, but then there is the desire that we don't understand that allows for many not to obey. So there, there are two kind of desires here. There's also the desire of his decree that shall be done. Uh, and then you might say the desire of uh, either the gospel offer. That we say this is a sincere desire and he offers the gospel but it's not the same desire of his decreeing that some will be saved. Well, we talked about that some last week. But anyway, there is a separation that God is earnest. As Jesus even said to Jerusalem, I would have gathered you like a mother hen. So there's that earnest desire. I would have had you, but you wouldn't. But then his decree still was that they wouldn't believe. And I can't fit those together, but they're both declared. Um, <clears throat> number five, we talked uh, some about this. I'm calling him the dragon because he may have been more like a dragon than a serpent. Because, you know, only after the curse was he put on his stomach, right? So uh, that's, and then he's called the dragon and serpent in uh, Revelation. But so he, here we are. Uh, this represents the garden, okay? And uh, Adam and Eve, <clears throat> and let's say this is creation. Only context for mankind was conflict. The only context from the beginning because there was the dragon. Doesn't that strike you as a little strange and a little different view of the way things are? That there was no context. I like the way Andrew put it in our discussion afterwards. There was no context for knowing God outside of conflict. No context ever conceived by God to know him outside of conflict. Whether in a perfect state or then in an imperfect state. And... <clears throat> I think some of the, and I, I gave the story about, you know, talking to the girl who was a reader and asking her if there's any good story that uh, doesn't have evil and her saying no. Um, it is interesting that this couples with number four of his plan to die and to suffer. This is also uh, how only in this world would God's love be revealed. Because, remember what Paul, what's the, Paul, uh, what's the point that Paul makes in Romans uh, 5, it's in verses 6 through 8, when he's talking about the love of God. Anybody, what's the point he makes about God's love? While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. And what does he say about us in that context? How do we love? He says, maybe somebody would what? Maybe somebody would die for a good person, right? Maybe. Your soldier falling on a grenade, you know, saving your comrades, your mother saving your children, your husband staying in the way of an attacker and you're killed because to try to save your wife or it's a good friend. So he says maybe sometimes people will do that. But God demonstrated his love in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there seems to be in this, the fact that it wouldn't have been revealed outside of that context. There's no way to even see it or know it or, or conceive that this is how far love would go. Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. So there's something in this plan of conflict. It was the plan of revealing this love. And uh, don't ever draw a picture of God in the Trinity. Okay, <laughs> don't try this at home is in other words. But uh, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the 
uh, one good thing about this is each personality, each person shares the same being. Okay, that's the point of this. They all share the same being, but they have relationship. They've had eternal love, uh, infinite giving and uh, spending themselves for each other, infinite receiving, infinite joy uh, beyond imagination. But when this love manifested itself in the earth, it manifested itself and he, he to, to get to how great it was, it was manifested in the context of sin. That's pretty, that's fascinating to me that the greatness and infinite beauty and glory of this love showed itself in the context of sin. And Paul seems to think you, you, we wouldn't have known it, but this is the love of God. Same thing with 1 John 4, right? That we've talked about. Uh, 9 and 10, we're maybe 10 and 11. Um, but in this is love, in that he sent his son, and he became the propitiation for our sins. Uh, it was not that we loved him, but he loved us. So we didn't love him, but he, he and, and as though the love, we'd never seen love until this point. This is where love hit the scene, in the giving of his son into a sinful world to bear uh, wrath away from us. So there is that New Testament uh, underscoring of this love that uh, could not have been shown, would not have been shown outside of sin. Um, so you have to ask the question. Uh, well, I don't have to ask the question. I just think it's beautiful and glorious that we, we are able to know this God. And then the last thing that's... Imp- oh, gosh, our time is up. You can read number six on your own. Um, that shows that we have incredible responsibility as people... Uh, From the beginning, even Adam and Eve had responsibility. Let's pray. Father, bless us to worship you and adore you and submit to your uh, glorious sovereign will. In Jesus' name, amen.